0: Welcome to the ICU podcast. I'm your host, Callie, a registered dietitian living with interstitial cystitis. Each week, I'll be diving into hot topics in the IC world, giving others a platform to share their story, and I may even reveal some of my favorite nutrition tips. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to ICU. This week you have me all to yourselves. I am doing a solo episode and I wanted to talk to you about my journey a little bit more. I know back in season one, I did, I think it was episode five, where I shared my story. And each week you sometimes get little snippets of my journey and what has worked for me, what hasn't worked for me. And I, I love sharing all of that because it most likely will help someone. At least that's my hope. And today I wanted to dive into, you know, what has helped me the most in the past few years. So specifically, why I decided to stop doing invasive treatments and move towards more non-invasive treatments. So a little background on me just to refresh your memory or if you are listening to season two before season one, that's totally fine. Um, I've had IC my whole life. I got diagnosed at age 18 and when I was diagnosed, my, my doctor was like, hey, we can do this a cystoscopy with hydrodistension. We can stretch your bladder. They didn't really explain anything besides that. And they also mentioned doing weekly installations. So I was 18 at the time, like I said, and I was completely new to this world. I had only heard of IC before in my internet searches. And it was scary, honestly. I, I really felt like there was so much I didn't know about the condition, and I was so desperate for relief that I was willing to do almost anything. And so when they told me about these procedures that they could do, I jumped at them because, one, I trusted that my doctor had my best interest, um, and two, I, was, I didn't really understand how invasive these types of treatments could be. And like I said, I was so desperate for relief that I didn't even need to know the details of what they were going to do to me. As long as I had a chance of getting relief from that procedure or treatment, then I was completely fine with that. So they also offered me various medications and same thing. I wasn't 100% sure what their purpose was. So I know that in college, and it's hard to remember sometimes, but I definitely tried Elmeron for a brief stint. I actually had a really hard time being consistent with that. I believe you have to take it three times a day and you're supposed to take it before you eat? Question mark. I'm not 100% sure about that, but that's how I remember it. So that didn't work for me because I'm not good at being consistent with meds or anything like that. I remember trying amitriptyline for a period of time, I tried Mirbetric, I tried hydroxyzine, and I'm sure I tried a whole lot of other things. I just remember that if one medication wasn't working they'd switch me to another and I just didn't even ask what they were for. So again, I was just desperate to not be in pain. Every single day, and every single time I peed, that was my main symptom. Um, I actually, and, and something that a lot of people don't know about me was I've only ever had pain. I never had frequency until I had that hydrodistension at 18. That procedure created frequency and urgency for me. After that, I, like prior to that procedure, I could go three to four hours between going to the bathroom. But after that, I had to go like every half an hour and I was no longer sleeping through the night. I was in college, a freshman in college, and I had to share a room with someone and my poor roommate because I was using the bathroom various times throughout the night, especially right when I was trying to fall asleep. I remember I remember, I, I would just go like three to four times before bed because if I could feel at least one drop of urine in my bladder, I could not sleep. I had to get it out. And it it was so frustrating. I remember, and I'm not proud of this, but there was a point my sophomore year where I was living off campus and I, I, my bathroom was like down this really long hallway. And honestly, it wasn't that far, but I was going to the bathroom so much at night that I I didn't want to like fully wake up and get out of like my sleeping stupor that I was in, that I would pee in a red solo cup and just put it on my desk for the next time I was going to wake up. And I did this for a while and I would just dump it out in the morning and do it again the next night. And like I said, not proud of it. Uh, it even... Came around to bite me in the butt because the one night I accidentally spilled it. So that was not a fun night for me. <laughs> I just scrubbed that carpet really good. But I I was just like struggling so hard. That was my lowest point because then I had pain and I had frequency. The hydrodyscension did absolutely nothing for me. And I will say that I have heard of a lot of people having similar experiences. But at the same time, I have heard of many people having success with that procedure. So don't let me, you know, persuade you to not do it. I'm just sharing my story. And then with installations, um, every doctor is a little different. So they all have their own cocktail of medications that they want to do. They have you know, different protocols, like some want you to do it weekly, some want you to do like one a month, and some do like as needed. And I believe I was doing them weekly, but now that I'm thinking about it, it might have been monthly, but so I can't really be sure about that. But I just remember like it was not pleasant to have the catheter, you know, put in and then to have to sit in the office for 30 or so minutes just holding that in, it was like, at some points, unbearable. Like I, the frequency, the feeling that you are about to burst at the seam is a horrible feeling. And I'm positive that many of you are going to be able to relate to that. So installations never really helped me. I will say I I recently, like a year ago, did them again with my new doctor just to kind of check that box off again. And I ended up doing them at home by myself because it was cheaper. They taught me how to do it. It was pretty easy. But it still wasn't doing anything for me. And sometimes it would even trigger a flare because it was really, even though it was a pediatric catheter, which, by the way, asked for a pediatric catheter. That's a side note. Even with that, it was still painful for my urethra, Um, even though there's lidocaine in the solution, it it still didn't help me. So that's my personal experience. It was either like a neutral, like nothing, no effect came of it or it did trigger a flare. I will say once or twice I did have, I did feel a little bit better. So I will give it that. (laughs) And then twice I have had Botox in my pelvic floor. So this is different than getting Botox in your bladder. Um, The Botox in the bladder is more risky. You run the risk of losing control of your bladder and you have to, you may have to self catheterize. So that is a risk that if you are considering just make sure that you are fully aware of the risk, your doctor will be able to explain it in a way that is so much better than I just did. (laughs) Because I'm not, I'm in no way a doctor. I am in no way like someone who's very familiar with that. I can only speak to my experience with Botox in the pelvic floor. So, I had it done once in college and then once about a year ago, we'll say, probably less than a year ago, at my new doctor. And both times, the injections. So, by the way, when I've had it done, Botox in the pelvic floor, we did it in the office, no, no anesthesia or anything like that. I believe when you get it in your bladder, they do it in the OR under anesthesia, but I could be wrong. Um, and the injections—they basically have Botox that you people put in their face. It essentially just like freezes your muscles. And the idea was that a big part of my problem is I tense my pelvic floor when I get really stressed, and so I thought, okay, let's see if like freezing those muscles has an impact on my symptoms. And so they inject your certain spots on your pelvic floor, certain muscles. They inject that with Botox. And it doesn't kick in for, I can't remember, I think it was a few weeks. But it's supposed to last up to six months. And both times, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really notice a difference. This most recent time, my doctor did say that he noticed up to, like, a 70% improvement in my pelvic floor muscles, um, but I, I really didn't notice too much, and, I mean, moving forward, I don't know that I would do it again, as, mostly because I had to pay out of pocket, and that was over $1,000 for the the vial of the Botox and, you know, to have my doctor inject me with it if it were covered by insurance, then I'd probably be more inclined to say yes. But the injections, when they were happening, they are pretty painful. So um, those are all of the procedures and the meds that I've tried. And as you can see, nothing was putting a dent in my symptoms, especially when I was in the 18 to 22 year age range. like. It was either the same or worse when I did these treatments. So there came a point when I was maybe 23, 24-ish years old, and I felt like I was ready for something new. I felt like I had hit rock bottom and that I was done with the treatment options that I was doing, which... To sum them up, they are invasive. They all have some sort of instrument going into your body, um, or really risky side effects, and they were also expensive. <laughs> but that's besides besides the point. Um, they weren't helping me, so I decided, okay, I'm going to try a new approach. And when I say that, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you in on a secret because even though I'm an IC dietitian. Back when I was going through all those doctor's offices, one or maybe two of those doctors mentioned the IC diet, and I thought I knew everything back then. I was like, there is no way that my diet has an impact on my bladder pain. That doesn't make any sense, and nobody really, I mean, I didn't say that out loud, but I would say, okay, whatever, and then I'd take the IC diet handout, I'd go home, and then I would just throw it out and not change anything. And maybe if I had expressed my concerns, maybe my doctors would be able to explain it to me, like the mechanism behind what you're putting in your body and what it's doing and how that could contribute to your symptoms, but I didn't. And so I didn't know, I didn't know that it could actually helped me until that point where I was about 24 years old and I was like okay I think I'm ready to finally give this a shot and I'm gonna do an elimination diet and I thought okay like (laughs) I'm about to be a registered dietitian like I'm sure I can you know manage this perfectly fine and I didn't (laughs) the elimination diet when I did it was a train wreck. I was slipping up left and right. I had no structure to my elimination diet. I just kind of eliminated as much as I could and then it took me like nine months to finally test the foods that I had removed. And I found out that I was sensitive to some stuff. I was sensitive to um, citrus. I was sensitive to carbonation alcohol, coffee. Um, I will say coffee was my non-negotiable. I never actually gave up coffee. I tried and failed horribly. So the elimination diet, even though I was studying to become a dietitian, I still (laughs) failed horribly. And I'm not ashamed to say that. It is hard. It is complex. And, you know, if you're listening and you've done it on your own, major props to you. Um, And so the diet component was really helpful because I identified my triggers. Something that's really interesting is that since I got my symptoms managed, it took me maybe three years, from the point that I did that elimination diet, I can eat anything I want now. I mean, in moderation. I don't, like, go out and binge drink or drink, like, three coffees a day. Like, I... Am aware that that could potentially cause symptoms especially if I have a really stressful day I won't like poke the bear and add some diet triggers on top of that but my diet sensitivities did kind of disappear when my symptoms calmed down and I do think that that was to do with my bladder wall being very irritated um and it's just really interesting because people ask me, you know, do diet sensitivities change over time? And mine did. Um, But we don't have any legitimate data showing that and supporting that. So um, I can only give you my personal and professional observations there. Um, I will say that the majority of my clients come into the program, my Road to Remission program, thinking that they are sensitive to like 10 to 15 different foods and drinks and they come out with anywhere from zero to five triggers that are diet-related. And I think that that's what's happening to a lot of the IC community is we are so afraid of the foods that are not on the IC diet list that it's like this big monster. It's really scary. And then that can itself trigger a stress flare and just kind of start this vicious cycle of food fear and flares and, you know, So, if you're listening to this and that's kind of like exactly what you're kind of stuck in, know that you're not alone. So many people in the IC community are in the same boat as you. And the good thing about that is you can get through that. That is exactly what I help my clients do in Road to Remission. Um, We work to identify their diet triggers, we work to increase their confidence, learn their limits and improve their overall quality of life. Because we live in such a food-centered society. Food is everywhere. And I feel like nobody realizes this until they are diagnosed with IC and handed the IC diet list and told to not eat those items. Um, You don't realize how food-centered our society is until you go out to dinner for the first time after your diagnosis and it's like, what the hell do I eat? Can I eat anything? Like, it's, it's a whole new world once you get that list and so that's what I'm trying to do here is is really encourage you to work through that know that there is hope you most likely can eat your favorite foods again because let's be honest the foods that they tell you not to eat on the IC diet list are is everything fun about this world (laughs) that's my opinion but in my head it's fact (laughs) So um, that was a side tangent. So let's go back to what helped me. So we talked about the diet. The second thing that helped me significantly was to start working on managing my stress. I was under a lot of stress and I didn't realize how it was affecting me. I didn't even realize that I was under stress until I sat down and actually thought about it. I think a lot of us just have mild to moderate levels of stress consistently every single day and we just kind of get used to it. So, I started going to therapy. I started talking about the things I was kind of dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I talked about my IC, I talked about my food fear that I was going through. I was a volleyball player in college and you know, there's a lot of pressure to perform, so I talked about that. And each week I started to see like a very small improvement in my symptoms. And I made sure to continue, you know, exercising as much as I could, going outside, getting some sun, some vitamin D. I made sure that I was nourishing my body. I was staying hydrated. So I started taking care of my body, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, which was really, really beneficial for me. And what else did I do? I recently... I started to focus more on my nervous system. So that's a little bit different from stress. Stress is just one part of the equation. Your nervous system is an entire system of, you know, different responses that our bodies are born with. Um, you know, your fight or flight response, your rest and digest state. Um, your nervous system does all of that automatically, which is really cool. And once I actually started to learn about that, it, a light bulb kind of went off and I understood that, okay, I'm walking around every single day in a state of fight or flight. My body thinks that there is a threat just following me around like a lion. There's a lion following me around all day, every day. And when you're in that state, your body really can't heal itself. It can't, you're, you're gonna have increased levels of inflammation you're just going to have a really hard time getting relief from your IC symptoms when you are constantly in that upregulated state. And my my doctor, Dr. Eckenberg, who was on in episode six, I believe, of this podcast, he is a chronic pelvic pain specialist, and he kind of explained it to me in... A simple way, and he recommended a book to me called Why Public Pain Hurts. That book was phenomenal. And then another one called Explain Pain. That was really helpful. Um, just explaining it in different ways, different depictions, different metaphors. And for me, like understanding the mechanism is like the most important thing in moving forward. So once I understood what was happening, I could learn ways to prevent certain states, um, how to, like calm my nervous system. So that's really what we've been working on is I actually started doing like the curable app. I started listening to their, Audio recordings. I started listening to different podcasts that help with that. I did a month of Evelyn Hecht, who was on one of my season one episodes. She's a pelvic floor physical therapist who created Pelvic Sense, which is a program to help you retrain your brain. And that helps a lot of people with their pelvic pain. And so that was really helpful. And I'm still trying to work through certain things. Um, I'm also on gabapentin for to help with my nervous system, and so that's kind of the things that I've been doing. And in addition to the diet and the stress piece, I am also still going to pelvic floor physical therapy. I am a big believer in that, especially for me. I, I have all of the issues with my like tensing my pelvic floor. I have pelvic floor dysfunction. I have vulvodynia. Um, and, and those muscles down there just need all the help they can get. So over the past like eight to 10 years, I've seen four different pelvic floor physical therapists. And I will say that every single one of them had a different approach, which can be both good and bad. I think mostly it was good because I got to see a lot of different styles and methods that they use, different exercises that they recommended to me, different stretches, different philosophies. So that was really cool. Now I will say if you are seeing a pelvic floor PT that you just like aren't vibing with, definitely look for another one because it can be a game changer. And I've seen it help so many people. And even if you don't think your pelvic floor is an issue. Still see if your, your doctor, your urologist, your gynecologist, whoever it may be, see if they'll give you a referral to pelvic floor PT and go once or twice and, and see. See what the physical therapist says. See if, it's, if they think that it could benefit you. And, you know, even if not, they'll tell you, okay, your pelvic floor is not an issue. It's, it's something else. And at least you'll be able to check that off. And that contributes to that investigating of your root cause. And so all of those three things have been pivotal in my IC journey and getting to relief. And I'm happy to say that I'm now 95% pain-free. And I don't want anyone to think that this was an overnight thing or that it happened quickly because it didn't. This has been a lifelong journey for me. And the past three to four years have been hard at times, but they have been... Really, what am I trying to say? I've learned a lot about myself. Like, I really have. And I had to go through all of those experiences, especially the bad ones in the beginning, to know what works for me and to know what path I'm meant to be on in my IC journey. And all of that led me to the work that I'm doing here. So, you know, becoming one of only two IC dietitians out there in the world. Um, creating this podcast, starting my road to remission program, and then my other two offers—the IC Collective and um, Intro to IC Mini Course—you know, I I was able to decrease my symptoms, and now I have a career that is really fulfilling, and I'm able to help other IC warriors. This is something that I've always wanted to do. I just had to wait for the right time to do it. And honestly, the pandemic really helped push me out of my hospital job into this to take the chance. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I did it because I have now helped over 80 women get their lives back. I've helped 60% of my Road to Remission clients either go into remission or get very close to remission. And I think that statistic alone is incredible. They also have had significant decreases in their pain levels, their frequency, the amount of times they're going to the bathroom every day and and night, um, significant increases in their overall quality of life. So that actually went from a 3.75 out of 10 to a 7.85 out of 10. So their quality of life improved by over 100%, which is phenomenal. And that's just in three months how they feel about their IC and and how they feel about their sex life has also improved as well. So the, the program that I created was, I mean, I created it to be everything that I needed back when I was 18 years old and really struggling. And I created it to combine three essential pieces. So the diet portion, the education portion, and the community piece. So I, I'm a true believer that community is huge. Support is huge. Having people that you can talk to on a daily basis with IC who can understand exactly what you're going through is huge because as much as your loved ones love and care about you, they will never truly understand what you go through unless they themselves have IC and are currently going through it. Okay, so having that support piece is just so important. Having that education, um, I created a 12-week education course that teaches you everything you could possibly need to know about IC, like supplements, uh, different subtypes, different treatment options, nutrition things like macronutrients, micronutrients, um, digestion. We have lots of guest classes on topics like hormone nutrition, mindset, mental health, pelvic floor PT, sex and relationships dining out. We have so much education in this program because I believe that education is power and that can help you be your best advocate because no one's going to advocate for you like you are going to advocate for you. You know your body best and arming yourself with knowledge about treatments, what's working for other people, you know, you can show up to your doctor's office and ask for a certain treatment, or ask about their opinion on something. You don't have to go in blind. My best tip is to write down any questions or anything you want to talk about before you go into that appointment. And also bring somebody with you if you want a second set of eyes and ears. That can be helpful to not stress you out. So yeah, and then the elimination diet portion of the program. I mean, we're really looking at, are you diet sensitive? Okay, if you are, what are you sensitive to? What are your limits on your triggers? Can you have a small amount of something like one glass of wine? Can you have chocolate once in a while? You know, can you have something with pre-leaf? We wanna know your limits because that's gonna help you in various social situations to be able to help you be more confident, help you indulge, help you enjoy what you're eating, you know, trying new foods when you're traveling, being spontaneous, not having to plan every single second of your life okay and I know that most of you guys do this you you're always looking for you know where's the toilet what do I do if this happens if this happens it helps with all of that and then that in turn increases your quality of life so if this is all sounding like yeah that's amazing I would love to either be in remission or get very close to remission or You know, be able to travel, be able to sit in a car for longer than an hour, be able to go do errands without freaking out or just like panicking and looking for the next bathroom. Being able to have an intimate relationship with someone, be able to confidently explain your condition to someone. And if you want a more holistic and natural approach, then Road to Remission may be a good fit for you. And you would work alongside of me and my support dietitian, Beverly, as well as the rest of the Road to Remission community. So we are a really cool bunch of people. Everyone is super positive. Um, they, They help you through any sort of obstacles. We answer your questions on a weekly basis on our support calls. We have two to three of those every single week. So you are supported every single step of the way. And... It's, it's just a life-changing program. I'm not just saying that because I created it. I'm saying that because my clients are getting results. So if you are interested in changing your life and feeling your absolute best by the time summer 2023 comes around the corner, then apply to Road to now. I have the link in the show notes and I'm looking forward to chatting with you more. So this is the end of this episode. Thank you for listening to me. I'd love to hear any feedback that you have on this episode. If you love this show, please, 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 please leave a five-star rating and a review. This really helps me. It helps me get the best guests that we can possibly get and get these awesome educational interviews. And just know that I really appreciate you. I appreciate all of you who say, really positive things about me and spread the word about this podcast and what I'm doing. So again, thank you. And I will talk to you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to make sure you're subscribed and following along. If you enjoyed this episode specifically, Please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell me exactly what you enjoyed about the episode. For more content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at K Nutrition.